Is there a witch in the woods? A curse on your camp? A haunting in your home? It's time to find out. Welcome to the Cower Hour. I'm your host, Briar. Oh, I'm Nora. I'm next. <laughs> and this week we're also joined by a guest, Jackson. Hello. I have the script in front of me and I still fucked it up. Ah, oh, that happens. Uh, where can people find you, Jackson? Uh, people can find me at Headfuls Off on Twitter and you can listen to a bunch of podcasts that I'm also on at abnormalmapping.com. There's a whole bunch there. Probably, if you know, you probably know from either Abnormal Mapping or The Great Gundam Project, which is a Patreon podcast at patreon.com slash abnormalmapping. That's the plugs. Plugs on up top. Um, so this week we have watched the 2002 video game adaptation of Resident Evil, the first in a six movie series, written and sometimes directed by Paul W.S. Anderson and mostly starring Mila Jovovich. Uh, who is his wife, mm-hmm. which explains a lot of things about these movies, I would imagine, especially in the, the later ones. Dogs broken. Oh, you you got to watch out for the dogs in this one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you really do. Can y'all hear the dog? Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, I will be right back. I'm going to go fix the dog. <laughs> you should run up a wall and uh, karate kick the dogs. <laughs> I will do my best, but it's a very small dog. <laughs> that just means you have to do a really small kick. <laughs> oh, what a perfect little teaser for the, the later dog content. I know. Dog is fixed. Hooray! Uh, okay, so do we want to talk about anything before I jump straight into the summary and get through it? Uh, this movie slaps. It does. I was That's actually, I was kind of surprised. I took some notes, but um, they're all from the first half of the movie. <laughs> I rewatched it last night. The movie's great. I was surprised at how good it was. Because um, I always remember the sequels being so much better. Uh, but it was a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, I know things uh, kind of get off the rails in the later ones, but I sort of assumed the first movie, at least, was maybe more of a closer adaptation. <laughs> it, is, <laughs> it is not. <clears throat> Sounds good. Well, without further ado, I shall jump straight into a summary of Resident Evil.
So, ominous music pounds over an introduction to the Umbrella Corporation, revealing their ties to the military and viral research, before the camera slowly zooms in to a shot of a masked figure using mechanical arms to place tubes of blue and green liquid into a safe container. This is obviously the T-Virus, we are all familiar with Resident Evil, etc, etc, etc. As the figure leaves, they toss one of the blue vials out, breaking it and causing its vapours to escape into the air ducts to be circulated around the facility. This seems like a really bad air conditioning setup to me, but this isn't the movie to question that sort of thing, I guess. Why does the aircon in the <laughs> in the like technically isolated lab? Why does the sealed lab that later floods have like air conditioning? I don't think it does. Um, I th- I think the moment it gets into the aircon is when he he brings the axe up to the like seal and creates the hole in it. Hmm. I think that's the implication there, but I also can't tell exactly. Because it does also zoom up to the air condition, but it also like gets way worse when he like uh, makes him. Um, you know, he, he hits it with the axe, and then there's, anyway, it'll no longer airtight. I've interrupted the summary. Sorry. It is okay. <laughs> that is that is why I've given it you all so you can see my gaps. Uh, we get some shots of workers and dogs who begin to bark upon smelling something strange upon the air, and a camera identifies the broken vial as a biohazard. Wink, wink. Alarms begin to sound as the computer behind the cameras begins to kill off everyone within the facility containing them all by locking the doors. Sprinklers slowly flood the sealed labs, which seems like a design flaw. The elevators plummet and kill their passengers, assumedly decapitating one worker who tried to fit through the jammed doors, and those out in the office spaces are killed off with halon gas. It is a successfully contained incident. I like, um, uh, in some of the shots in this segment, there's like a first-person like camera perspective. Um, and on one of them, on it just is like panning across a room of people dying, and it just has this graph that says mortality decreasing, <laughs> <laughs> as like a, a a meter slowly drains. It's very funny how in this opening moment, it like very briefly starts to establish like two or three of these workers as like characters, and then they are immediately dead. <laughs> Uh, it has this opening scene where it has to pretend it's like a real horror movie for um, about five minutes <laughs> uh, mm. before before on. it's like just okay now Paul now you can go wild uh, <laughs> but this opening sequence is legitimately unsettling to me uh, I find it very like not it's not like scary scary but I do find the idea of being like trapped in an office with no way to get out until I just die from whatever like there's just no way out like that kind of claustrophobic shit is effective mm-hmm yeah, it's like a very good quick scene setting for what the rest of the movie is going to like play with. Uh, yeah, this movie is really good at the like you know I guess it's usually attributed as the Die Hard thing, right? Where it just it's a whole movie of walking through space and setting up space uh, and setting up like things that will pay off later. As like this tour through the facility is the first thing in the movie, and then the first half is them walking in, and the second half is them walking out. <laughs> Um, so, on the floor of her shower, naked, our heroine Alice, I, I guess we don't know that she's Alice. Really, she's Alice. They just don't say do. that in this new movie. Uh, she they don't up. say her name once the entire movie, or even hint at it, to the point that the subtitles refer to her as woman. Yeah, so I should clarify, our heroine woman wakes up, the shower's still running. Uh, <laughs> 
our attention. Oh, she's a woman. I get it. <laughs> we have our attention very quickly brought to like a scar on her shoulder, which I assume is from some kind of surgery. Uh, she looks through an adjacent bedroom, confused, and finds a handwritten note on the dresser stating that all her dreams are to come true. She checks her handwriting against it, and it doesn't match. She continues to root through the room, going through some drawers, and finds a locked one full of guns, which, you know, naturally is pretty surprising. Uh, she quickly dresses, puts on a, a little red dress and some boots before heading out into the hallway, stopping to inspect a wedding photo, which has her and a mystery man in it, before some movement catches her eye. So she follows this movement off, and after flicking on the lights in the building, heads outside. The mood out there is tense as birds suddenly take off and the wind howls, before someone grabs her and pulls her back into the building. Her suited assailant drags her indoors before a team tactically breaches the building, cuffing the man and asking Alice for a report. They seem to think she is a soldier like them, and upon hearing her confused reply, remark that she might still be suffering the side effects of the house's defences. The man claims to be a cop, though his ID doesn't check out when they inspect it. Something he blames on being a transfer from another precinct. You know, lazy cops. Makes sense. The team carries on to move through the building, through a fancy door that they've hacked open, past some large blast shutters, to an industrial-looking loading bay for a little train, which, you know, kind of looks like a ride at a theme park. <laughs> Uh, this entire sequence is good because they they haven't stopped to explain any of this at all. So nope. you get the opening, everything kicks off. Uh, then this 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 woman wakes up, uh, has some amnesia mysteries, uh, then gets tackled by a guy who says he's a cop but is obviously lying, um, and then like just like the hardest, uh, just full electric guitars. The coolest fucking, like, 2002 intros here as the SWAT team bursts in through the windows, like, go, 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 and it's Colin Salmon, he pulls off his mask, he's like, hi, I'm Colin Salmon, I'm here to give exposition to you, but not really, are you a soldier? And Alice is like, what? And then they just keep going, they just don't acknowledge any of it, it rules! And meanwhile, in the background, Matt is repeatedly just yelling, like, I'm a cop, you can't do this to me. (laughs) So, they set about fixing up this train. One of the soldiers, Rain, notices a broken grate beneath it, but doesn't really inspect it any further. And they move out, discovering another man in the process who also seems to be suffering memory loss. Alice recognises him as the man in her wedding photo, and inspects her wedding ring. Property of the Umbrella Corp is etched on the inside. Which, hmm. Thinking emoji. Uh, so the train rolls up at the real loading bay, loading bay for the proper facility, the camera from earlier registering their presence. The team moves up, and the leader informs Alice that both she and they work for the Umbrella Corporation, the mansion above, and her marriage being a cover for the Hive, the facility they're now in. Hidden beneath Raccoon City, the Hive is a top-secret research facility with thousands of staff and highly classified experiments. Alice and her husband Spence's memory loss is due to a defensive knockout gas used in the mansion to deter attackers, which, again, seems unwise if it knocks out the agents that are placed there as well. Just more genius decisions from the Umbrella Corporation. <laughs> mm. It's weird that everything seems to go wrong for them repeatedly. Who can say? Who can say why that happens? So, upon finding the elevators are out, having crashed down to the bottom and killed everyone in them, the team power walk down the stairs in a very tactical manner while we learn it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, when I was watching this movie, all I could think about was that 
little uh, video from the document of Metal Gear Solid 2 where they have a guy come in to show them how to walk through a room with a gun. And then he has, like, telling them not to just wave their gun all over the place. I feel like they hold the guns wrong in this movie. I don't know why. <laughs> There's something particularly strange about the way, like, two of them hold their guns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They hold them like cameras. Yeah. I feel like. It's very funny. So, we learn the cameras we've been seeing are the viewpoint of the Red Queen, the AI that controls the hive. After making it to the labs, the team find them completely flooded. They're more like aquariums than labs at this point. And the body of a drowned scientist drifts close to the edge of the glass, spooking everyone. Unable to get through them, they look for a new path to the Red Queen's core, and after they leave, the body in the tank opens its eyes and suddenly jumps us, which is very rude. And also puts its hand on the glass. Yeah. And like a very sped up shot. Yeah, it's it's like instant change from the frames, basically. It's a little <laughs> odd. So the team progresses through what would supposed to be a dining hall, according to their computers, but seems to contain row after row of strange metal tanks, all with large pipes and cables coming from them. A thick vapor is pumped from them and covers the floor. Alice looks for the tiny window of one, and we see exposed flesh and muscle, a brain lined with tubes and needles, and fluid being piped into whatever lurks within. The team continues on, making it down to the Red Queen's control area. Kaplan, the team's IT guy, mentions that the Red Queen is making it difficult for him to hack into her system before the door opens very suddenly. He looks a little concerned, but Shade, the leader, moves into the corridor ahead anyway. He sticks the transmitter to the second door, and Kaplan cracks that one open as well. The team begins to move their big EMP bomb in, and both doors shut either side of them, trapping Shade and three of the others inside, where they are, one by one, killed off with a large security grid. Uh, this scene is very funny. I love when the guy tries to jump over the laser, and then it just goes up with him. Uh, this is the classic scene from this movie. <laughs> Uh, and coming back to it with how like this is a scene that everyone I, I assume you both knew about this scene before watching it unless I did not I knew nothing oh. about this movie wow okay it's been talked about so much it's like definitely the iconic moment from this movie and one coming back to it the surprising thing with just how short this scene is mm-hmm. uh, it really only goes back and forth a couple times yeah I mean I, I absolutely knew Shade was not getting out of here alive but the second where the laser grid just swaps to like a complete grid to mincemeat him is very good I remember like talking to people about this movie because I've liked these movies for a long time um, and people were always frustrated with it. Like, why didn't it just turn into a grid from the start and just kill them all instantly? It's like, well, that's no fun. Yeah, that's not as good. Uh, <laughs> it's very funny. Also, it's weird. I know that it's technically his character's name, but it is very strange to me that you are calling him Shade instead of Colin Salmon. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who this is yeah, as an actor. Oh, okay, well, that's Colin Salmon. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's dead now. Uh, so, Kaplan manages to unlock the doors a second too late, just as the last team member is completely eviscerated. Alice helps him move in and install the EMP device, and despite the Red Queen's pleas not to shut her down, the Red Queen appearing for them as a, a little holographic child, they do so. This results in a primary power outage causing all the power to go off, and also all the metal tunes in the dining room earlier to shift from environment stable to environment unstable, which is probably bad. The power comes back online, 
and all the doors that were previously locked now open up. Uh, back in the dining room, which is going to seem very ironic as we move forward, Rain moves out <laughs> to investigate a metallic noise. She finds a survivor, inverted quotes, who proceeds to attack and bite her. Uh, I don't know the name of the person that comes over to help her because he's going to die in a minute, but both of them show a surprising amount of patience for this person that is clearly a zombie, but eventually blast the hell out of them, sending them backwards over some cables. The others show up, and during their conversation, the mysterious shot-up figure disappears. Matt, the cop, steals some keys that were dropped in the struggle, and the team, or what's left of it, suddenly realizes that they are completely surrounded by zombies. Some of Whoops. which have... Some of which have bits of their faces missing for some reason, and basically only in this scene. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Zombie effects are very expensive. I guess so, yeah. Uh, Rain snaps the zombie's neck and everyone opens fire. Matt struggles to unlock his handcuffs as one of the tanks, riddled with bullets, explodes dramatically. There is a, a very quick little visual gag here as the environment status swaps back to stable just before it explodes. Um, bowled over by the explosion, Alice remembers meeting someone in a forest and telling them she could get access to the T-Virus for a price. As the ringing of the explosion fades back into the soundtrack, everyone keeps on gunning down the zombies while Matt keeps on struggling with the keys. The remaining team member, whose name I still don't know, enters the code for the door only to be grabbed by the horde of zombies within it. He is dragged away into their mass and eaten as the others struggle to free him. At this point, a CGI liquor bursts out of one of the tanks. It looks really goofy, but I like it. Yes, it does. Uh, the remaining team members, Alice, Matt, Rain, Kaplan, and Spence, retreat back to the Red Queen's chamber. The bodies of the dead team members have disappeared, assumedly off walking around somewhere with everyone else. Alice wanders off on her own and finds the dog kennels, which are all ripped open from the inside, the metal wire doors ripped open and bloody. This for some reason doesn't turn her off to exploring at all, and she keeps on walking forward before she is confronted by a bloody skinless dog. It chases her, and she slams the door in its face, only to turn around and then be confronted by a zombie as well. Fortunately, Alice remembers the basics of CQC, and she beats the hell out of it before stealing their gun. True. The dog then jumps in through the window, so she closes the same door behind it again, only to meet the rest of the pack, which she calmly guns down one by one. Things are quiet for a beat before the original dog comes back through the open window, and the music kicks in again as Alice dramatically parkours off the wall and roundhouse kicks the final dog in the head, killing it instantly. Yeah! This, this movie's good. <laughs> uh, I, was not, I think she does this again in more movies later. I was not expecting this. Um, the movie is like kind of at least a little bit serious up until this point. And then she roundhouse kicks a dog. It was 2002. <laughs> I don't remember 2002 very much. Th- this is all very post-Matrix, so you could get away with this in a serious movie. Like, the movie is serious, is the thing. It's not parodying this, it just is this thing. True, mm-hmm. true. And that continues to a ludicrous extreme in, in the, the later movies. <sighs> You're really making me excited for these later movies. Wait, Nora, have you seen them? I've seen all of them except the last one. Okay, good. This is the only one I've seen. Yet. Uh, so, Matt, Matt also wanders off into the offices on his own and roots through the desks for stuff, eventually finding a keycard for a Lisa. He gets jump scared through the window as well, but it's fine. Um, and then suddenly who should turn up but the Lisa of the keycard. 
She lunges for him, trying to eat his flesh, as zombies often do, but Alice turns up to smack her on the back of the head. Alice recognizes Lisa to be the person she had met in the forest, and she also turns out to be Matt's sister. Matt, thankfully, takes a minute to remind us that corporations are not above the law, and as it turns out, he's one of many trying to expose Umbrella. His sister was supposed to infiltrate and get some information, but clearly that went wrong somewhere. This scene is weird because um, he has that jump scare with the zombie through the window, and then it cuts, and I think it cuts to, like, everyone else waiting by the doors, and then Rain has one line where she says how many bullets she has, and then it cuts back and everything is calm again, and he's just looking through files again. Yeah, and then he gets jump scared again as his sister turns up. It's a weird, like, up and down of the tension here. Mm-hmm. Um, I it, it like hard. leads into because they have this this heart to heart scene where like we've got to talk about characters and themes for a minute here. It's still a movie, um, and they they talk to each other for a bit, and then that conversation ends, and then it like cuts in like in in one shot, it cuts to a C, to like the CGI hive outline of someone running um through a corridor uh on, on like the heat map basically, um, the hive and it's them. And it's them, and they're running away, and then they come back in, and they're like, shut the door, the zombies are following us. We never saw, like, the chase never begun. It just, like, cuts to the end of the chase. <laughs> so, yeah, this, this, I mean, this I... middle section has a lot of, like, <clears throat> editing things. I guess it's real easy to find some zombies to chase you in this place. I assume that they were probably just, you know, it, it's a movie, it holds together just fine, you don't need to have, like, uh, the movie is paced very well, and they probably didn't want to bog it down with more zombie stuff, there's already enough, you don't need to have an arbitrary tra- chase to get them back in the main room, just cut to them getting back in the main room. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. it just would have been more of them moving through corridors, which we instead get through a fun, like, holographic display. Yep. Uh, so, they all reconvene in the control room. Kaplan and Rain reveal that they have just under an hour to escape before the blast doors all lock them in to contain the incident. To find a way out, Alice turns the Red Queen back on, and Kaplan rigs her up with a kill switch. The Red Queen lightly roasts them before explaining how the zombies work, and that they should shoot them in the head. Removing the head... Or the brain. With information on the layout from the Red Queen, they head on down to some utility tunnels, which seem to be safe for about 30 seconds before they are assailed by zombies again. Alice punches a bunch of them out before swinging up on a pipe and breaking one's neck with her thighs, which, you know, good good movie. Dig a mess. <laughs> uh, Kaplan and Rain get bitten a whole bunch more, and Rain kind of starts to lose it a little bit. They continue on, climbing along some pipes, which collapse and cause Kaplan to get separated. He urges the others to continue on without him, which they do, and with one round left in his revolver, he puts the barrel in his mouth. We hear the shot as the others crawl to safely, to safety, but it is quickly revealed that he has instead shot the zombie closest to him. He taunts the horde and continues to climb away on the pipes. It's a good scene. It is. <laughs> he says you're going to have to work for your meal, and then keeps like backing up <laughs> just kind of shuffles away this movie reminds me um <clears throat> not in any real bad this is a it reminds me of alien resurrection you know this movie it sounds like just i haven't seen that you sh- i need to see that yo nora you need to watch <laughs> alien resurrection <clears throat> i have to watch alien 3 first yeah whatever i've also not seen those <laughs> no one cares um, i mean three is better than two but 
Sorry to commit heresy on a horror podcast. I don't like aliens. I'm look. I'm the person who likes Terminator Three the best. You're in good company. Oh shit! I don't like it more than one, but I do like Terminator Three more than two. And I think that like I think I'm at M's actually <laughs> about to lie. I'm right this second. Whenever this podcast is going out, I'm currently receiving a line message about how <laughs> awful preferring Terminator Three to Terminator Two is. And look, I know, I know. Um, people get like bit and clawed so much in this scene. I don't know why I was. I don't know why I expect from zombie fiction that it's always just you get bit once and then you're completely fucked. But people get, like, torn apart in this movie quite a bit. Yeah, it just takes a little while to kick in. Yeah, it's very much the, like, easy mode Left 4 Dead thing where you get hit and that's, uh, okay, you lost, you lost two health. Uh, so, Alice, Spence, Matt, and Rain make it back to the labs, which are no longer flooded. Alice flashes back to you before the incident and remembers that while the blue vial is the T-virus, the green one is an antidote. <gasps> She informs the others, and they begin searching the lab, but as we saw in the opening, the vials have been taken. Spence has a maximum brain moment and remembers spying on Alice and Lisa's meeting, <laughs> and also having sex with her, and then also stealing the T-Virus in the opening. Uh, I guess it is a heist movie, after all. He pulls a gun on Alice and says they can still leave together and sell a T-Virus for money. Spence reveals that the virus and the antidote are on the train right where they found him, as he was gassed unconscious during his escape. While he's monologuing, a scientist slowly rises up from the water, and the others just watch it quietly as it walks up to Spencer and bites him. Spence flees and breaks the door lock behind him, but thankfully the Red Queen has somehow lured the liquor to the train. It attacks and kills Spence as he tries to apply the antidote to himself and mutates into a larger creature. Um... They find a door that they can get out of if they have a code, but the Red Queen holds it hostage, demanding that Alice and Matt kill Rain to prevent the spread of the infection. What used to be the liquor, but is now some sort of very big dog, slams against the window as they struggle to decide, and Alice dramatically hefts the axe before swinging it into the monitor. As she does so, the power cuts and the Red Queen is shut down as Kaplan appears, having activated the kill switch. Hooray! Yes! I I sort of expected that he was going to die. I don't know why I let this movie keep surprising me. <laughs> um, they all flee for the train, and Alice finishes off a reanimated Spence with the axe before dropping her wedding ring by his corpse. She's missing. Also, him she delivers the line that he delivered to her before leaving her in the lab as a callback. It's it's, it's very good. You know. Um, she administers the antivirus to Rain, who seems quite pessimistic about her chances, and palaces, passes Alice the watch with their time limit on it, which I believe at this point is like eight minutes or something. Mm-hmm. Um, they are cutting it close. Weird, it's also the runtime of the movie from this point. Mm, strange. Uh, Rain briefly appears to be dead, and Alice prepares to shoot her if she would reanimate, but she instead takes back the pistol, declaring that she is not dead quite yet. Matt looks fondly on at these japes and antics, just as a large claw opens up the side of the train like it was made of paper, and also cuts him a little bit. The liquor plucks Kaplan out of the driver's seat before continuing to menace the train and its occupants. It bursts in through the back door. Uh, Alice shoots it in the brain a few times before getting pulled to the ground by its tongue. Um, Where is the line in my notes that I wrote? It has disappeared. Uh, Matt has to fight off and shoot a zombie rain to open the train doors, which drops the liquor onto the tracks, killing it basically instantly as it goes up in flames from a spark on the tracks. Uh, the train pulls up at the mansion loading bay, and Alice is about to give Matt some antidote before she is interrupted by people in white hazmat suits, 
They drag him away and put him on a stretcher where he is deemed fit for the Nemesis program, as his wounds begin to mutate. He is wheeled away as Alice is also captured to be put under tests to determine if she is infected. Jason Isaacs is here as a doctor briefly, I don't know why. Um, but finally, she wakes back up in an empty operating theatre covered in IV tubes, which she painfully rips out before wandering over to an observation window. Uh, she has like a shaved side here to make room for the tubes in her head, and it looks, it's a good, it's a good look. Yeah. Um, she somehow uses one of the IV tubes to force the electronic dock to malfunction and open, and finds that the hospital is completely barren and empty. Ooh. I played this Half-Life 2 mod. Uh, she takes a coat and leaves the hospital, the glass windows flanking the door clearly shot to shit, uh, and walks out into the street that is completely devastated. Alice takes a shotgun from the back of a cop car and cocks it as a camera pulls away to reveal that the entire city is in ruins.
Uh, there's a newspaper that says the dead walk on it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which oh. made me laugh because a certain <clears throat> someone has ruined that phrase for everyone. <laughs> I think we can just say JJ Abrams. JJ. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's gonna come for us if we if we shit talk him. His name is a Voldemort. And if you say it out loud, he'll know where you are. I think I mean, the dead too. speak is the only thing in the Rise of Skywalker that will actually like culturally live on as a thing people joke about. No, no one cares about the like. It's all bad, but no one cares. But the dead speak is very funny. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> anyway, sorry to turn this into Star Wars for a second. Um, Look, if I'm on a microphone, it will be Star Wars for at least five seconds. Um, this movie rules! Yeah, I had a lot of fun. It really does. Uh, I had these notes that I took that are just random words that I wrote. It. I like that when they get on the train, they just have to like plug it back in. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They just, there's just two cords underneath the train, and then um, Rain goes and plugs it back in, and then the train works. And there's also a, a scene where the one of the soldiers like does a head nod to get them to move out, and then Alice and Spence like briefly mock him by doing head nods at each other and then laughing. It's very cute. <laughs> Yep. Um, I, I knew the later movies were this kind of thing. I expected this first one was going to be like more of a muted, maybe sort of a maybe like a straightforward horror thing where Alice sort of gets like her cool fighting powers sort of at the end. It is not that. Does she secretly have superpowers in this one or is it only in the later ones that she has the secret superpower? This is just her super CQC training, I think. Yeah, she, okay. she like turns around and instantly punches the crap out of a zombie having like... Basically, up until that point in the movie, only sort of walked around following <clears throat> everyone nervously. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very good. Uh, so, like, th- th- this movie is, like, originally positioned as a Resident Evil in-canon prequel. That's not true anymore, obviously. Um, yeah. But that's why it ends the way it does. And also, um, it at some point was going to be called Resident Evil Ground Zero, and it was supposed to come out in October of 2001, and instead it came out in summer of 2002, for some reason. I couldn't say why. And they they took off the subtitle also. But I will be making an edit uh, of Resident Evil uh, with uh, Here's to You playing over it now. (laughs) (laughs) For some reason I thought you were going to say the Monday Night Football theme. (laughs) (laughs) When she kicks the dog. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know what? I might have to do that. I could watch that kick on loop for a long time. <clears throat> oh, it's so fucking good. They just don't make them like this anymore. I mean, I mean they did for several years. They made more of these. Uh, this one is different to the later ones. This one is, is still kind of... A, like When people say that this one's a normal horror movie... Um, they don't mean that it's like a regular having a normal time sedate <laughs> movie. It's completely mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. one, but like structurally, it's absolutely a normal horror movie. They, you know, yes. it sets up the place, they go in, the zombies come out, they escape. There's a little like tag at the end where everything goes to hell, and that's the end of the movie. Like it just it is absolutely one of these. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think like it's easy to focus on the very 2002. And Paul W. S. Anderson like effects of how it frames itself with like the the karate kicks, um, 
I mean, I'd like to focus on them. They're very good. Oh, yeah, but I do want to say that it's like it's still structurally just a pretty well. It's just like a well-made genre movie in a way that I appreciated. Mm-hmm. I was very glad that no one knew what a zombie was because I'm fucking sick to death of people trying to be cute and being having like postmodern. We're gonna all talk about the genre in the genre. <laughs> it's like, oh, it bit me. What could that mean? Good genre zombie movie. Let's go. No one knows. <laughs> oh, you mean you didn't want them all to walk in and be like, oh, there's Zeds everywhere. There's what? Freakers. More Clickers. Is, is Days Gone Freakers? Uh... Days Gone is Freakers. I can't believe that's a real thing that happened to the world. I was just listening to the podcast where you try to remember what the Clickers are called in uh, Last of Us. Uh, State of Decay is really bad for this, where like different like character voices will all have a different thing they call the zombies. Oh no. It sucks. I hate it. I do like I do like the line where someone says, It's obvious what they are and then there's like they're the people that used to live here because you used to work here because they've got lab coats on them. So you th- <laughs> you think that they're doing that really obnoxious thing, but then they're doing a different thing, it's good. This movie does what it's doing. When he said that line I was so ready for it to not be that. <laughs> I know. Also, uh, Jason Isaacs plays um, noted Resident Evil character William Birkin, who is actually like a, a villain in some of the other games. Yes, this is... You would never know. This is a leftover from it being like a prequel that is not really how it goes in the end. <laughs> uh, you should have brought more. Anyway, Alice is called Alice and the Red Queen is called the Red Queen because there's like a light Alice in Wonderland thing going on. But not really, other than they go down and it's weird. <laughs> That's kind of the, the, <laughs> the extent of the metaphor there. And even the like production page for the Wikipedia is like, ah, we kind of gave up on that aspect of it pretty early on in development. But the name, the, the, like, the name for the protagonist stayed, which is why those characters are called what they are. Because I know I was like, why is she called Alice when no one says Alice? It, it's because of it's because of that. Uh, do we have any Funkos here, Nora? Well, first we have an email. Oh, we do. I know you're always eager to get to the Funko check, but we do have an email that we have to I'm always, answer first. I'm always so excited for the Funkos. New bio. And we're going to do an interesting Funko thing because it's we have two of you. Um, so we got an email from Tron. Thank you, Tron. Uh, I think we've talked a lot about the soundtrack already and how good it is. <laughs> I love the intro theme that comes back at the end, which is just, like, the during the, like, intro monologue. When you get to the credits and that Slipknot song kicks in, I oh! completely <laughs> love it. Oh, I hope everyone enjoyed listening to that song in its entirety between the uh, summary and the discussion parts of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts on the story of this movie being different from the story of the video game? Um, that's fine. I haven't, I, I know the story of Resident Evil. I haven't played it, even though, like, I'm too much of a baby. I'm a big baby. Um, but I, I, I know, I think it's fine. This movie doesn't have anything to do with the video games. Uh, thematically, I think they're aligned in ways that a straight adaptation would not be. I think that this, this series has a much stronger, like, yo, corporations will just fucking make zombies because, you know, that's what they do. If you let mm. them get that powerful, uh, 
uh, it has like a, a much stronger element of that than I think that like I've played I've only played four and I've seen like stuff in the other games, but I think that it's actually better at that side of the the equation than the games are, which are just kind of genre pieces. Um, and that's like you know, I, the end of Resident Evil Four is hilarious, but it's not like saying broad things about the world. And then it starts, mm-hmm. and then when it is, it's like the most racist shit in the world. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I don't know. I think I think it is yeah. fine, and its identity is good. Yeah. yeah, they they did put out a Resident Evil game that if you pre-ordered it, you got a Africa necklace. Yo, if they release the trailer for Resident Evil Five now, who? Ooh. Um, yeah. Well, I said earlier, I sort of expected this first one at least to be a bit more of a direct adaptation. I'm not like a diehard Resident Evil person, nor am I a stickler for adaptations being the same as the thing that adapting so it being its own thing is like pretty cool by me i um i don't i haven't played resident evil but i have watched a couple let's plays of it and i fucking love the very specific type of i guess camp that resident evil gets to sometimes (laughs) um especially like revelations 2 when barry pulls out this just fucking huge gun out of his pocket it's great anyway um i love the idea of Resident Evil and this movie combined with a couple others like Aliens inspired the first RPG I ever tried to write, which was like a military horror thing back in like 2016. That mm-hmm. <clears throat> It didn't go anywhere because it was a bad game. Aww. Was your favorite looking shot or scene uh, in this movie? I think we've all talked about the dog kicking scene it's hard to beat uh the dog the dog kicking shot is the funniest shot in the movie um but the best scene is still the corridor um i would also pick out when they're in the labs and they all just sort of watch the zombies slowly rise up out of the water mm-hmm. um i like that a lot uh who's your favorite character um alice yeah <laughs> it kind of has to be alice <laughs> It's Alice. Um, yeah, my favorite character in these movies isn't in it until like the third movie at the end. So, yeah, something to look forward to. Yeah. Do you like zombies, and do you prefer the slow or fast zombies? I um. Hmm. I'm. I am. A, sorry. I am. Uh, you go. I just immediately started answering no, I, I don't have anything to say. I'll take I'll, I'll take the break. <laughs> I am a known vampire liker. Um, and vampires and zombies are like vaguely adjacent if you squint. Um, I've never got really into zombies. And part of that, I think, was the oversaturation when I was a teenager of zombie stuff. Mm-hmm. It just became like really, really focal in a way that drove me away from it. Um, so I don't have any strong feelings about zombies, other than I enjoyed playing Left 4 Dead as a teen. Um, I'm pretty zombie neutral. I think I like them more as like a facilitating element for the story that you're going to wrap around them, more than like the thing that is important in that work. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, they work really well as like uh, a problem that you know you are not going to be able to completely remove, and it being like how do how do people adapt to this thing that is the people they love uh i tend i i so i'm probably anti-zombies generally but not because i dislike 
like all zombie things right just there's so many fucking terrible it's mm-hmm. the zombie you know zombie games zombie survival things pride and prejudice and zombies zombies don't you all love zombies it's fucking zombies uh. and <laughs> that was like a whole 15 years i feel like that trend has started to die down now um i, I don't think there is much of like you know the epic bacon go-to narrative <laughs> concepts that they were look i, I you know i think i think it's a fair assessment of where zombies were at uh, in the early no, 2010s right. um um walking we, dead we're now isn't a comic anymore yeah we are in a post walking dead world um at, after the end of walking dead the world will split into two god damn it <laughs> Uh, but I, I enjoy like you know I enjoy a lot of things with zombies in them. But I I tend to be uh, immediately distrustful or suspicious if that is the thing today. You have to like get prove yourself right. Um, mm-hmm. Doesn't mean you're gonna yeah. be bad, but just gen- generally where those like where that fandom come from uh, isn't very interesting to me, at least in a modern sense. Do y'all have a favorite allegory or metaphor for zombies? <sighs> Uh, I don't think so. I I think it's weird to say like, do I have a? Fa- I've got like favorite movies that have meta like use zombies in their metaphor, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's like mm-hmm. zombies are best when you do this. I think I think the worst one is when zombies are just like you know foreign people, right? When it's like trying to yeah. be about the mm-hmm. scary pe- people who are unconsciously making things about holding off the scary dark horde. Like that stuff's mm-hmm. bad. Um, uh, I think the consumerism metaphor of, is weak these days. I, I I understand why it was like a strong thing, you know, with with Dawn of the Dead, and how that like got to that. You know, I, I get that, but I think that it has a different context now. Um, yeah, uh, weird pull. I like uh, the Game of Thrones version a little bit, um, the- which I guess isn't really said in the same breath as like walking dead or whatever as being a zombie story but you know in that it's climate uh, change I, I, I do love when zombies uh can all be destroyed by killing one guy with a knife well who doesn't that never make things really <laughs> easy <laughs> yeah i guess if we're just picking up like interesting zombie things we watched pontypool a few episodes ago and mm-hmm. i really like that as a kind of a, a slightly left left field look at how zombies might work mm-hmm uh, favorite creature design? Um, probably the dog. I actually think they're like the not prosthetic. It's just they're just models. Um, but the like design, the physical effects that create the dogs are really unsettling. Um, in this in this movie, mm-hmm. there's like a shot of them and it pans on. Some of them have like no flesh on their jaws. It's like ah. Because I remember them for getting kicked in the face, obviously, uh, but I had forgotten that, like, no, there's actually some really good practical effects in this movie. What if that, but also the head opened up four ways? Now you're talking. And a bigger mouth. Um, um, I like the liquor. I know it's like just, I think it's just what the liquors are in Resident Evil. But I just like it. It's neat. Yeah, it's a cool, it's a cool guy. Uh, do you all think you could survive a zombie infestation? No! Absolutely not. No! <laughs> um, someone would hit me on the head with a shovel and take the things that I own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
The zombies would be the least dangerous thing in this equation, I think. <laughs> How scary was this movie for you? Uh, the jump scares got me because I'm a timid little baby, but aside from that, not really. Uh, yeah, I think I would say what I said at the start, which is that the the movie, like the zombie part of the movie, isn't scary. Like there's some tense bits as they escape, but it's not. You know, it's just an action movie mm-hmm. to me. But I do find the um, opening pretty unsettling. Just the idea of being trapped underground with no way out, locked in a room, uh, is is terrifying. That's like just a scary concept. Yeah, the worst for me is the elevator scene. That fucking freaks me out. <laughs> Um, not being stuck in an elevator, the getting killed by the elevator yep. part. Mm. Um, do you remember this movie coming out and the talk around this movie? Uh, no, my early, I remember seeing the trailer for Resident Evil Apocalypse, which is the second movie that is like a skin cream commercial. Um, and I remember seeing ads on TV for the DVD release of the third movie, but I don't remember the first one at all because I was... A child. Yeah, I would have been about seven or eight when this came out, so I extremely do not remember anything. <clears throat> yep, I would have been eight or nine, depending on when it actually hit in the UK. Uh, I was born in nineteen ninety three, and this was two thousand and two. So uh, I don't really. I remember. Mm-hmm. It, I do remember it coming out, but I don't because I was like even by then I was like reading video game magazines, um, but I don't remember anything about it. Um, until it was the third one when I kind of started paying attention because I had friends who are really into these movies. The first video game adaptation movie I remember, uh, like caring about as it happened was probably Prince of Persia, which is a way later, but everything else was like, oh, they made this back in the past for me. I never like saw one new until Prince of Persia. Oh, a lovely movie gift from the past. Prince of Persia, decent date movie. Um, no, it's not. What? Hang on, what are you talking about? <laughs> Prince of Persia? <laughs> the 2010 Prince of Persia movie. What are you, what are you talking mm-hmm. I mean, like, if you're having a good date, I guess anything's a good date movie if the date's nice <laughs> enough. But Prince of Persia, no! <laughs> I mean, I'd I'm rather sure. make. There is not a single person I wouldn't make out with to avoid watching Prince of Persia. <laughs> so I guess in that sense, maybe. But how can you fuck up Prince of Persia that bad? All, he just kind of does flips and stabs people. Well, you can, well you can cast uh, Jake Gyllenhaal as the Prince of Persia. Oh, he can do a flip or two, right? <laughs> he just can't be Persian. <laughs> true. True. <sighs> Would y'all like to go to hell? Uh, yes, yes, why? It is time once again for our Funko check. Um, here on Funko.com, I am greeted with uh, a little Weasley boy with a crown. I don't know who this is. It's some redhead. Uh, our our festive Santa is gone because this is the first time recording in the new year. Uh, it is time to find a Funko for Briar to write. Please deliver unto me the cursed goods. Right up. So, Resident Evil. Four! <laughs> um, okay, so as per our rules, you will be um, given a Funko to rate. I was going to just give you the first one on this list, but there's a, actually a bunch of Resident Evil ones available. We have Nemesis, Liquor, Leon Kennedy, Jill Valentine, Tyrant, 
the Hunter Tyrant again, uh, but glow in the dark, and President Snow from the Hunger Games. <laughs> <laughs> now that's President Evil to me. <laughs> hey. Um, so, um, Briar, which Funko would you like to rate? Uh, go ahead and give me that glow in the dark tyrant. All right. And, of course, for our guest, I will be going to the catalog page and finding the first random Funko that I get. Uh, Briar, here is your tyrant Funko. Let me post it in the chat here. <laughs> so, the first thing that jumps out to me here uh, is that I'm, I'm, you know, my room's pretty well lit right now, and he does already appear to be glowing, which is impressive. <laughs> um, he has very, very thick veins, which is probably really good for giving blood. I bet this guy could give a lot of blood. Uh, I don't know if you want what he has to offer. It's probably not the healthiest, uh, the healthiest sanguine out there. Um, also has a very impressive heart on there, uh, some real big claws. Has some some bulbous growths on his leg, you know. He has a has a lot to offer. A lot of a lot of probably probably where you want to shoot him is that bulbous growth on his leg. Probably, yeah. So um, he comes with a, a full suite of accessories there. He's got his claws and his his growths. Uh, he's also a six inch super sized pop, which you know sounds just great. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and give him a, a zero from out of five, unfortunately, because that's too big. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Jackson, your random Funko Pop to rate is Maximus from the movie Gladiator. I've never seen Gladiator. <laughs> um, this Funko Pop is just chilling in the Cedar Rapids. Look at him. <laughs> <laughs> He's just vibing. He's just got a shield. I don't know. Let's go to two. It's not great. I don't know who this is. <laughs> I think this is. Well, I I, I, I know Russell it's Maximus Crow. from the movie Gladiator, but I don't know what that is. <laughs> like, I think it's Russell Crowe from the Gladiator. It just looks like a Funko Pop. I, how was I to know <laughs> this is Russell Crowe? <laughs> oh, I, I can I can tell he's Russell Crowe in the other one without his helmet. Mm. But that is that is not the Funko Pop you linked me. That's a recommended one down here. Yeah, it's extraneous Funkos. So I assume at some point in that movie he snaps the edge end of a spear off and uses it, but in this Funko Pop it just looks like he has the tiniest spear in <laughs> the entire world. So uh, you gave it a 2 out of 5 on this Funko? Yeah, it's a 2. It's fine. It's Funko Pop. Right. That's the highest rated Funko we've had so far. Yeah, I think uh, Maximus is objectively the best Funko Pop so well, far. Well, yeah, there we have it. The science doesn't lie. It really does. Funko Pops are so bad. Yeah, they I understand so that's the bad. joke, but just being <laughs> being forced to look at these, Jesus. Look, I mean, I can't pull up a TV tropes page on two of my podcasts. Ah, <laughs> uh, you could not take me to TV tropes. I would, I would die down there. We would be here for too long. Yeah, it's a bad, it's a bad way. Uh, I um, I was shown the TV tropes page for the video game I made the other day. And nope. oh boy, you should never look at the TV Trumps page for something you've made. Not allowed! Oof. Oof. Yeah. I did look once to see if 
someone had made a TV Trumps page about the actual play that I ran, but they had not, and I hope it stays that way. That is the end of the Funko Zone. Thank you for um, taking us to hell. Anytime. I'm always happy to do it. Um, that brings us to the end of the podcast as well. So, Briar, where can people find you online? Uh, as always, people can find me on Twitter at Wergazel, and they can find links to everything I work at there. Uh, you find me on... Uh, I always take the longest to do plugs, because I just plug everything. Um, find me on Twitter at NeitherNora or at Zoetics. That's X-O-E-T-I-C-S. Find me on medium.com slash at Nora F. Blake or medium.com slash at Zoe Mars, X-O-A-M-A-R-S. I write tabletop games that you can buy at neithernora.itch.io and poetry that you can buy at dragonflower-press.itch.io. I have a Patreon at patreon.com slash norablake. And this podcast is on the Export Audio Podcast Network, which you can support at exportaud.io or patreon.com slash exportaudio. We have a lot of podcasts. There's a new one coming soon. So feel be, be sure to give us your money so that we, it's easier to make a podcast. It's good. It's good stuff all around. Love to podcast. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, time is up for the cow hour. Join us next time as we are watching, according to this schedule, Friday the 13th too. But until then, good night. Good night. Good night. <laughs>